0: The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 12, if you would. And while you're doing that, we we still need one approved nursery worker in the back. Uh, If you can help us out there, please. Um, If you're not approved, you can't go, so you're off the hook. But we need one more um, worker in the back, if at all possible. Either that or you have to take all the present workers out to lunch after church before they go ballistic. It's been two weeks, uh, three weeks since we've looked at um, the Gospel of John, and uh, so we'll try to catch up as quickly as we can. Uh, Paul Jostino was right when he made the announcements last week after the mortgage was paid off. Uh, Pastor Greg and I flew the (laughs) coop and um, flew first class and uh, stayed on the front beach there in california last week no that's not true we actually flew for free i think and we our accommodations were free so god provides in a lot of ways and uh, we are we're grateful for that and if you were here last sunday you should be grateful to pastor greg and myself all of that was planned that brief service that you had last sunday that brief that brief message was just to make up for the long service we had had the week before. And uh, so we've taken care of you. <coughs> um, and, uh, but we're back to reality today, so don't, don't, don't get your hopes up. John chapter 12, verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. There's a finality to that. It's almost like it is finished, isn't it? Then a voice from heaven came, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, The voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the rule of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him. We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is the son of man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. You notice how for the last couple of chapters when somebody asked Jesus a question, he doesn't really answer it. He just keeps on going. That's what happens here. Who is the Son of Man? And Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light. Lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light... Believe in the light, that you may also become sons of light. And when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. That's the word of God. It's a wonderful time in the life of the church calendar for us to be looking at this particular passage we're two weeks away from Palm Sunday. You know that? It kind of slipped up on us. Beginning that, and we're not going to celebrate Palm Monday, by the way, so it'll be Palm Sunday. Uh, if you're new here, that's an inside joke, sorry. And we'll walk toward the cross that week. That Thursday, we'll have communion. <clears throat> Celebrate the Last Supper Jesus had with his disciples. And then the following Sunday we'll worship on Resurrection Day on April 5th. There are a couple of difficult spots in this passage. It's difficult but glorious. We'll try to understand them today. Throughout this chapter we've seen the triumphal entry. Um, Well, at the beginning of the chapter, we saw where Mary anointed Jesus' feet with the expensive perfume, and there's a crisis there, and and there's this plot to kill Lazarus. If you're going to kill Jesus, who raised the man from the dead, you might as well kill the man who was raised from the dead. And then there's the triumphal entry that we saw in this chapter. As well, and all the people were excited, thousands of people just celebrating his coming into Jerusalem, laying their clothing in the palm branches at, at his feet, and there's great joy and great excitement for this king is coming to build this earthly kingdom, to, to, to build an army, to defeat Rome, and we won't be under the, the oppression of Rome anymore. What a what a glorious, exciting time for these people. And then there's Jesus comes and there's the cleansing of the temple, which we don't have in the Gospel of John, but it happened. We have it in the other Gospels. And Jesus is teaching in the temple and, and he meets with Jewish leaders even during this time and other things are going on. Then at some point during the early part of this week, quite possibly Tuesday of this week, we see in verse 20, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And we recognize that these Greeks were, were Gentiles. And they come to Philip and they say, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And then in verses 23 and 24, Jesus responds, we get to the crux of the matter, the heart of the matter. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's the crux of the matter. I use that phrase intentionally. You know, when when you, in the English language, when you say the crux of the matter you mean that's the central point. It's interesting that we've brought the crucifixion. Crux means cross. And it's interesting that in the English language, whether you're a pagan or a believer, it doesn't matter. You'll, at some point in your life, use that phrase, the crux of the matter. Pagans don't even know when they're talking about the central point, And they say the crux of the matter is they're proclaiming the gospel. It's the central point of everything. Jesus gets to the crux of the matter there in verse 24. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. If it dies, it bears much fruit. We saw that point a couple weeks ago. Then he says, my hour has come. The hour has come, verse 23, for the Son of Man To be glorified. The the hour we've seen throughout the Gospel, when Jesus says the hour, He's talking about the hour of redemption, the hour of the cross, the hour of the crucifixion, and everything that goes along with the crucifixion, the trials, the suffering, all those things, the hour has come, He says. That hour is a, it's a fixed time in the purpose of God. It's a, it's a it, it it's a period in the purpose of God and, and and we've we've seen that over and over and over we see it in, in this verse 23 we see it in the next chapter the very first verse um I, I don't when the when the passages are really close to the main text I don't put the verses on the screen so you need to open your Bibles that or turn them on um. Verse thirteen, verse one, of chapter thirteen. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Chapter seventeen, verse one. That that great high priestly prayer. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father. What? The hour has come. You see it in other Gospels as well. Matthew 26, verse 18. He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. Later in that Matthew 26, verse 45. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See? See? The hour is at hand. Mark 14, verse 41. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. And up to that point, he'd said the hour had not come. John 2, verse 4. And he said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. John 7, verse 6. Jesus said to them, My hour has not yet come, but your time is always here. Chapter 7, verse 8, you go up to the feast. I'm I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. Later in that chapter, verse 30, so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. John 8, verse 20, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. There's a fixed time for this. It had not yet come, and now he declares, my time has come. It's inevitable. It's a definite period of time. It's a set of events that takes place. A number of things that he had to face, he had to go through. He must die in order to bring forth fruit. Is that a definite beginning? A set time where trouble would begin. Begin the sufferings for the sins of the world. Fixed hour where he would suffer the pain and the agony and the anguish and the agitation and the disturbance, the pressure, the weight of the cross. Strain and stress to die on behalf of mankind. That's the hour. He knew it was his time. It weighed heavily on him. Verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. And he knew that this was going to be his time before the foundation of the world. He knew what he would suffer he knew the fickle attitude of the people. He knew that, 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 that there's this shift being made from, uh, from the house of Israel to the Gentiles at this point um, in his time in the temple. He, he, he knew that that was taking place. He knew that, that, that the people who welcomed him just with hosannas just the day or two before He knew they were going to turn on him, so that declared that his hour had come. He knew those people didn't want a spiritual leader. They wanted to be free from Rome, the oppression. They wanted their own earthly political kingdom, but he couldn't give them a kingdom that he was to give them until they became citizens of the kingdom that he was to give them. And they couldn't become citizens of the kingdom that Jesus was going to give them until they became righteous. And they couldn't become righteous until somebody paid for their sin. And somebody couldn't pay for their sin until somebody died. And so he had to pay for their sin to make them righteous so that they would have some right to enter into the kingdom that he was going to build. It wasn't the kingdom they were looking for. And so he came to die. He's announced his death over and over and over. He's done that many times. But it's imminent now. It's imminent. And so he says, my soul is troubled. Now, my soul is trouble. Let's stop right there. What, What's troubled mean? Why? Is it the cross? Is it the pain? Is it the blood? Is it the agony? He was human. What's the troubling soul mean here? The word is tarasso. We see that word in Scripture many times. It's a, it's a profound disturbance in the soul of Jesus Christ. It's a prov- and, and, and more than in, in his humanity, it's, it's a profound disturbance even in his divinity. Now, hear me out. We do see that word in other places. John 5, 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. That's when the water is troubled. That's, what, that's the same word. John eleven thirty three. when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. John 13, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And he's talking to his disciples in John 14, verse 1. He said, let not your heart be troubled. It's the same word. Then later in that chapter, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Torosso is the word. Jesus was experiencing a troubled soul. Agitated, pressured, heavy, weighed down, strained, stressed, disturbed, according to Vines. He was about to face... The great cause for which he was born. The great cause for which he was brought into the world he was about to face. The reason his soul was so troubled was he was about to face this. And his hour was at hand. His hour is staring him in the face. Terrible sufferings were now beginning. The supreme purpose that he was to face the hour God had set for him. And he'd known about this hour forever. It could be that Jesus had even played the crucifixion over in his mind thousands and thousands of times. The purpose of the incarnation was that he die. He'd come to die, supreme cause of his life. We see here, too, his supreme obedience. Imagine the sufferings of that hour. Should he pray? See that? What shall I say? Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came. He must obey. Obey God was the supreme act of his life. Thinking about this this week, we think of the agony of the cross. When we think about it, we think of the passion plays and the musicals and the the, the nails being driven. We think of those things. We think of the Passion of the Christ movie, the scourging. It's the agony when we think about it, when we think about the agony of the cross. And Jesus was human, and he, of course, had anxiety regarding that fear. But what? It, but what is worse? What caused that troubled heart or that troubled soul? I think even more so than that was the wrath of his father. The wrath of God. He was going to experience the father's wrath for your sin and for mine. That's what I think this troubled soul is. That far exceeds what we think about when we think about the agony and pain of the cross. The dripping blood and holes in his hands and all those things to us are awful and painful, just horrendous. This troubled soul has more to do with the wrath of God than that. And I'm not saying that he just walked away. From his own humanity and often in a distance he could see his own pain and suffering. No, he suffered on that cross as a human just as you would. Were you hanging on that cross? He endured it as if any of us were hanging on that cross. Hebrews reminds us that he experienced everything that we experience in our humanity. He suffered everything physically on that cross, but his soul suffered as he knew that he would bear the wrath of the Father. And friends, the wrath of the God who flung the stars and the planets into space is a terrible thing. So much so that you could not even endure his wrath for one little bitty white lie you may have told whereas he is enduring the wrath for every sin humanity has committed through all time <laughs> and he did so willingly I lay down my life myself, he said. He didn't have to. He could have walked away. He could have called, what, 12,000 legions, whatever. 12,000, that's enough if I'm wrong. Jesus could have saved himself. He could have chosen to walk away from from that cross. And had he done that? He would have damned every single one of us. He was not asking to be saved from death. There's this question in his mind, we see it in Gethsemane too, that he'd be asked, he's asking to be saved from the agony of death. Now my soul is troubled what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? No, rhetorical. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. It's a conflict of light being confronted with darkness. It's the agony of righteousness confronted with unrighteousness. The prospect of actually bearing sin, or as Paul said, being made sin for us. Even perfect humanity, perfect as that humanity was, not immune to the concern for the painful surroundings that are encountered when you're about to be hung on the cross. So Jesus hypothetically raises one possible response concerning this imminent happening. Should I ask my father to deliver me from this? He immediately returns to the fact of his obedience. But for this purpose I have come to this hour obedience to His Father's redemptive will, death, so that those the Father has given to Him might live. In contrast to this, then we see the real prayer. Father, glorify Your name, Daddy. Glorify your name, and the answer's right away. Don't you wish God would answer to your prayers that fast? I mean, like in one verse. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Crowd stood there and heard it, thought it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Here is Christ's fundamental concern. The glory of God. The Father's glory. Jesus declared earlier in John 8, verse 29, And he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. God, he says, get the glory. Father, Get the glory lived for the Father's glory always. If my death gives you glory, then I'm willing. Well, how would the death of His Son give the Father glory? It shows His nature. It shows the Father's nature. It shows the Father's character. It shows us The death of Christ on the cross shows us who God is. Because when you see the love of the Father, you give Him glory. When the Father gives you grace, He gives you glory. Two weeks ago, we celebrated the grace of God given to this church. What do we do? We gather together to give the Father glory. God shows you His love, you give Him glory. When God shows you His grace, you give Him glory. And so that's why the cross brings glory to the Father. The death of Jesus reveals God's nature, and for that, He gets the glory. God's not some... As some would say, some cosmic child abuser with no feeling or no care that he would kill his own son. No, Jesus went to that cross willingly to show the father's love and the father's grace. That's why he gets the glory. Father, glorify your name. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. That's the third audible, divine voice that we've seen in the Gospels, where Jesus declares the status of the Son of God, the nature of the Son of God. It's almost like God couldn't contain Himself in these moments, and so He audibly speaks, Matthew 3, 17, and Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. It's almost like he couldn't contain it. This is my Son. I'm so pleased with him. Later in Matthew, Matthew 17, he was still speaking. When behold, a bright cloud overshadowed him. And a voice from the cloud that said the transfiguration said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased to listen to him. And some of the people said it had thundered. It could have been accompanied with thunder. We see that in Exodus, you know, coming from Mount Sinai. We, when God speaks, it's thunder. And he, ret- and, and, and he deals with the past, present and future. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again for all time for eternity from his birth to his ascension Christ person reflected the glory of the Father it's the same promise we have in Isaiah referring to John the Baptist in Isaiah 40 verse 3 make straight in the desert a highway for our God and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. When Jesus comes. We just have two points in this message. I don't think I gave you the first point. The first one was the prayer of Jesus. And the second is the proclamation of Jesus. So he switches from this suffering side of the cross to the salvation side of the cross. The crowd stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. That crowd, by the way, the reason I mentioned that is now we know that that crowd is a group of Gentiles and Jews. He was teaching the Gentiles. Philip and Andrew bring to him, and so there's this group of Gentiles and Jews that Jesus is talking to. This crowd of people. It shows that Jesus has some interest here in in directing his message, maybe even away from the Jews. He all along had said, "I've only come for the lost sheep of Israel." And now the focus is turning to the Gentiles. He says that that voice has not has come for your sake, not mine. They, Jesus didn't need any confirmation from God. That voice is from the onlookers, those who are listening, especially his disciples. And it could be even repeated what the Father said to his disciples. He declared back in chapter 5, verse 37, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard. His form you have never seen. But now they've heard And their accountability is ratcheted up a little bit more. Now they've heard. We know in times past God spoke from Sinai. Well, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Also from Mount Sinai. But in those last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the word world. Like I said, he moves from his suffering to salvation. What's the victory of the cross here? It's very clear to us. It's very simple. Verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast down. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this. To show by what kind of death he was going to die. We see the victory of the cross. Simply in this. First of all, Jesus died to judge. Jesus died to judge people. But that's not true. That's our first thought. Jesus died to judge. Now is the judgment Of this world. That's not the reason that he died. We've already been told this in the Gospel. John 3, verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn or to judge the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, the judgment of the world, the world has judged itself. It's a great illustration. I don't have time to share with you about that. Maybe I'll do it another time. That's why he came that the world might be saved through him. We, we read this passage now as the judgment of this world. We think, well, Jesus came to judge the world, but that's not true. Jesus came to save the next verse, John three eighteen whoever believes in him is not condemned or not judged, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son. Of God. Jesus came to save, not to judge. Jesus came so that He could free you from the judgment that you've already received. That's why we have the cross. So that He might save. The second victory we have in the cross in this passage, we cast out the rule of this world. See that? Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. At the cross, Satan loses his rule. He's still around. You know that, don't you? Yeah. I saw those smirks. He's actively working, but as John MacArthur said, he's working from death row. <laughs> His sentence has been passed. The execution just hasn't taken place. The rule of this world is cast out. It's the second victory of the cross. And the third victory of the cross is that the death of Christ becomes the lure by which he draws men to himself. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. We know this truth. What saves a soul is not what man does. But what God does through Christ. That term, lifted up, there's a deliberate double meaning when Jesus says lifted up the word, the Greek word that he uses here. It, it both means a literal elevation, physically being lifted up. And everybody that was there, everybody that heard his voice, knew what he meant when he said lifted up. They knew he was saying he was gonna hang on a cross. There's a double meaning to that. It also means lifted up exaltation, being raised in rank or honor. We don't lift up Jesus with our praises in the sense that he means here. He was lifted up on the cross and... We proclaim that fact to the world. That's how we lift him up, by proclaiming him to the world. We lift Jesus up by preaching Christ. And So he describes his crucifixion. John wants to make sure we know that. And so John adds, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to, he was going to die. He wanted to make sure. That you didn't misunderstand what Jesus was saying at that point. Describes his crucifixion. It's really the first time, as far as I can remember, I didn't go through all the Gospels, as far as I could recall. He he proclaimed his death many, many times. He had not proclaimed how he was going to die. And this is it. Isaiah declares about the Messiah in Isaiah 52, 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Remember back in John chapter 3, verses 14, 15. And as Jesus said, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus had to die. There's no access to God apart from the cross. You can't be drawn to him. You can't can't have access to him apart from the cross of Christ. And this picture when he says, and as Moses, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, we see that way back in Numbers chapter 21. Verse 9, so Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And then if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Then because God had directed afflicted Israel to look only in one direction. Don't look at Moses, you'll die. Don't look at the law, you'll die. Look at the serpent, the bronze serpent in the Old Testament. Now look at the cross and live. And so John Owen, the great Puritan says, God calls us to look off from all other things Look off from the law, look off from self, look off from sin, look only unto Christ. And we even sing about this physical being hung on the cross and this exaltation of Christ. When we sing lifted up was he to die, it is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high hallelujah. What a savior. <laughs> what does he mean by all? Will draw all people to myself. Now, if all means all people, every human being. And if we know the truth that Jesus drawing is effectual, even if you resist Jesus drawing is effectual, then if all means all of mankind and Jesus' drawing of mankind is effectual, then what do we have? Universalism. So the Lord is lifted up. Does he draw everybody to himself without any exception? No. There's one thing the Bible teaches. We know that the Bible teaches there's no doctrine of universalism. There are people who are saved and there are people who are lost. There are people going to heaven and there are people going to hell. Now, go back to what we were talking about earlier there in verse 20 when the Gentiles show up. Jesus is teaching the Jews he'd come for the lost sheep of Israel and the Gentiles show up. And all of a sudden he's talking to both of them. And they say, sir, we would see Jesus. Without going into a long explanation, it is clear that Jesus is saying all people, Jews, Gentiles, every tongue, tribe and nation, red, yellow, black, white, Everybody. He doesn't want any misunderstanding here. All tribes and nations. Not just the lost sheep of Israel, but all people I've come for. And will draw all nations, all tongues to myself. Drawing. It's not stated here, but it's very important that the message to us is the necessity of lifting up Christ in our ministry. When Christ is lifted up in our preaching, when Christ is lifted up in our living, when Christ is lifting up in our talking to our neighbor, that is when people will be drawn to him. It is our responsibility to lift up Christ so that he might draw people to himself. Don't miss that. The attraction, then, is through the Spirit of God enabling us to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. The beauty of his work, the beauty of his person. That cross that bears the ugliness of your sin—you are wretched, lost people until Christ saves you, me too. And so the cross is attractive. We think of that spilled blood. We say it's attractive. The cross is attractive because what? Well, I, I, it's an attraction. I'll draw people to myself. I'll, I'll attract people. To myself, when I'm lifted up, I'll attract people. The cross is attractive. (laughs) Many of the people having believed in Jesus as the Messiah, now they're confused. This group of people he's talking to, they're just confused. And so the crowd answered him, verse 34, we've heard from the law. That Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who's the Son of Man? I'm puzzled that now he said he must die. And we just, a day or two ago, we just shouted and ruined our clothes for your donkey to ride over. And all those things. Hosanna to the Son of David. And now you say you must die. Whether the traditional, the traditional understanding of Scripture in, in those days was that the Messiah was going to be some political Messiah, you understand that? Apparently, the people were only taught the parts of Scripture... That talked about his glory and his exaltation. Apparently, the people weren't taught Psalm 22. Why have you forsaken me? Or at least not been taught that that's messianic or taught Isaiah 53 or at least not been taught that it's messianic. They didn't know the word. That's why it's so important to know the word. Oh, well, we. this is a little confusing to us. We've heard. We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. Now you're saying he's going to die. How can that be? The crowd that greeted this political conqueror with enthusiasm didn't want to understand his sacrificial death. Didn't fit in with their idea of what the Messiah would be. And they asked that question, who's the Son of Man? And he gives an invitation. The invitation of Jesus. Actually, three points. Sorry. So Jesus said, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. And while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Only a few days left in his earthly life. And his best advice to his disciples and to those listening to him is to maintain some childlike closeness to the light. What an invitation. The light is with you. You know that? But it's possible from this, it's possible to have the light and not really believe in the light. And it's not enough just to have the light. There are men who had the light. Judas had the light. Judas had the light of the messages of the Lord Jesus Christ. Judas had the light of personal fellowship with Jesus Christ. But Judas did not believe the light. Judas did not walk in the light. And finally, out of remorse, realizing what had happened to him, death working in his soul, he took his own life. so Jesus says, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. And that's his invitation to you. In Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, you, um, by, the way, by the way, you should have read this book many times by now. Next to the Bible, you should read this book more than any other book. But the evangelist is speaking to Christian. And he says, then said evangelist, pointing with his finger over a very wide field. Do you see yonder wicked gate? You know, the wicked gate is the narrow gate that leads to Life in Pilgrim's Progress. It's not the wide gate that leads to destruction. It's the narrow gate that leads to life. Do you see yonder wicked gate? And the man said, no. Then said the other, do you see yonder shining light? He said, I think I do. Then said Evangelist, keep that light in your eye and go up directly there too. So shalt thou see the gate at which when thou knockest, it shall be told thee what thou shalt do. Go to that light. You have the light. Walk by the light. And while you have it, believe in the light that you may become children of the light. So Jesus would tell us. And we sing that old hymn, Come to the Light, it's shining for thee. Sweetly the light has dawned upon me. Once I was blind, but now I can see. The light of the world is Jesus. You old people know that hymn. So come to Christ. He's offered the sacrifice that's for sinners. It's for all men, Jew, Gentile, for all people. It's for sinners. And today, listen to me. If God, the Holy Spirit, has revealed your condition to him, to you, Then come to Him. If God, by His Holy Spirit, has opened your heart to see who you really are, you're the sinner. They're your sins that crucified Him on the cross. Then turn to Him, come to Him, walk in the light, receive Him. And do not leave this sanctuary having failed to settle that question by coming to him and becoming a child of the light. Because you may not have another chance. Let's pray. we'll sing a hymn in a moment during that hymn, should you want to pray with someone or give your life to Christ, Pastor Greg and others will be at the back. And I encourage you during this hymn, just walk back there. Just make your way back there. They'll receive you. Thank you, Father, for the cross. Thank you for willingly being lifted up so that we might live. And may we walk in the light every single day for the glory of God, the glory of God the Father. In his name we pray. Amen.